When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Michael Dorn has more self-discipline and curiosity than anyone I know. An actor, writer, director, pilot, athlete, and a vegan. Once this man makes a decision, there is no stopping him. Don't try. He is charming, a true gentleman, and hilarious. We begin by doing one of our normal riffs, the one we almost always do when first we speak to each other. Foggy in the morning. Um, have yes. you been listening to, uh, oh, what's the, oh, what's his name? Well, forget it. I can't even remember his name. What's the name of the guy who did, um, he does these weather reports. Famous director. He did a razor head. Who's that? Yeah. Thank you. Have you been listening to David Lynch's weather reports? Anyone? No. They were really funny and mm. wonderful. Mm. So Michael, could you get off your phone so we could do no, this? No, I'm putting it on mute. Oh, I see. Jesus Christ. Well, don't, you know, don't bring him into it now. Come on. Um, <clears throat> yes. Okay. Go ahead. I'm ready. All right, babe. Okay. All right. Alors, bonjour, bonjour. Bonjour, comment allez-vous? Oh, très bien, très bien. Habitez-vous chez vos parents? Oui, oui, oui. Okay, Je suis yes. très petite. Alors, Miguel, um, oui, so anyway, oui, yes. oui, oui, Miguel, um, oui, oui, oui. yes, uh, what, uh, tu viens de, de, de Texas? Tu, tu, tu étais né, you were born in Texas? Uh, oui, oui, <laughs> oui, born in Texas, uh, très racisme. <laughs> oui, 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 oh, j'imagine. Grand racisme. Beaucoup de racisme, uh, oh beaucoup, là là. Beaucoup de racisme. Oh là là, et, yeah. et toujours, toujours. Oh, oui, toujours, oui, toujours, oui. ah, oui, ah, oui, 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 oui. Ah, hello, Michael, how Hi. are you, honey? How are you doing? I know, boy, is that the <laughs> truth, right? Oh, my God. Très grand racisme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you and I, uh, we have got to do this Paris with, you know, Dorn and McFadden. It's just got to happen. What can I tell you? Because uh, Dor- Dorn, it, oh, yeah. it would be so much fun. It would be ridiculous. It, it would, would be ridiculous. It would, I mean, a great trip, would, a great trip, but it would be ridiculous. We would be laughing so hard. We'd get into big trouble, I'm sure, <laughs> in a lot of places <laughs> because we would start talking like this and yeah. they would be insulted. With a terrible accent. Uh, <laughs> and they're like going, Medicaines. So anyway, babe, yes, um, yes. it's so good, as always, to see you. Um, Thank you. And as always, you look about 30 years younger this time. I mean, every time I see him, just so you know, folks who are not <laughs> able to see this, the person I'm looking at across the screen, uh, he does look so good every time. I mean, oh, I'm telling you. you. Thank well, you, very you much. know that's true. I mean, you were my dad. Just like always. Oh my gosh, that Michael <laughs> Dorn is so <laughs> handsome. Oh my gosh, and he's a pilot. Well, yeah. he just went nuts. I oh, mean, yeah, definitely. oh my god, did he flip out? Because he he never. I don't think he ever knew anyone who was in my age range who was a pilot or was yeah. interested in it. Even. Yeah. You know, well, pilots are pilots are funny. I mean, it, you—it's sort of like when you when you're 
when you're talking to someone and they're kind of like nonplus about, you know, yeah, 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 right. And then you say something that they're into, they just brighten up and right, go, right, oh, right. yeah, remember that, you know? And <laughs> yeah. just remember there was a, um, somebody told me about, oh, I know, one of the, one of the ladies that worked on our show uh, up, in, up in the office, in the production office, okay. was this lady. And she was sort of like, you know, you know, okay. I mean, she wasn't mean, but she just wasn't like, she didn't have too, too much to want to say to, to, to us. <laughs> Until I mentioned something. She had dogs and they were either beagles or something like mm. that. And she just went, oh, they're dead. And she just opened up and just, and pilots are like that. They start, you can't see this, but they start right. talking with their hands. Oh, yeah, I was right cool. here on his six, <laughs> inverted, oh, I love it. and he came around, and then I turn around, and then I hosed him. Oh, he's doing all these hand signals. That's awesome. All right, so here's the thing. This is what yes. I've been waiting for. Yes. So I want you to teach me to fly today. I mean, just we have to do it briefly because I don't, you know, I don't want to have the whole podcast on this. But so, all right, so I, I go up the uh, I go up the stairs and I go through the door, and I I'm assuming I turn left, right? Mm-hmm. I might I might want to pee quickly. At the toilet, right? And then I go into the cockpit. Right. Okay. Proceed. What do I do? Uh, you first sit in the chair. Okay. The one on the left. The one on the left or right, either one, left or right. Okay. And the controls are the same. Controls are the uh, pretty close to being the same. There's okay. some things that are different, but pretty much. I mean, because you can fly from either right or left seat. Okay. Doesn't matter. Because sometimes the captain who is the left seat will fly. Sometimes the first officer will fly different legs. Right. And you go up there and it's really sort of all automated. Yeah. Press a button. Oh, press really? a few switches. The engines come on. They do what they're supposed to do. Uh, and then you call. And the, the, the most important part is be able to do radio calls. Okay. And so like, what do you, so, so what do you do? Like, I'm talking like this. I'm going, uh, Hey, yeah, Gates, uh, it's really nice seeing you. Something like that. November four, five, six, eight, tango. Uh, we'd like to taxi (laughs) to runway two, five left. Ooh, that is so sexy, Michael. Mm -hmm. A great story. Would you call me up and do that sometime? No. No. A great story (laughs) is that, um, I was, uh, in the middle of Star Trek. Um, like I think I was on, Deep Space Nine at the time. I was flying this Sabre jet, F-86. Pretty intense little airplane. And and I was flying out of Van Nuys, going down, going someplace east. I forgot where it was. And I go, um, uh, Burbank approach, a November 38301 uh, experimental F-86. Uh, left turn to 110, climb and maintain 4,000. And the guy goes, is this Wharf? <laughs> no way. <laughs> I go, yes, it is. <laughs> and the guy was like, oh, man, that is so cool. <laughs> that is the, that's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, who else would have your voice? Oh, my God. Was, you have the was, world's best voice. Thank Truly, you. Thank you. Dear. You do. Yeah. But so here's the thing. Are yes. you supposed, are you told to talk in that kind of like, this is this, this. No, it actually is kind of what people do. I don't know why, but um, nobody's ever told you to say anything. They just want you to, you know, get the instructions and whatever the case. Except they do always want you to be calm, right? No. Mm -mm. No. No? Nobody says anything about that. Okay. They'll say, if you have an emergency, they'll say, fly the airplane, you know, figure what I doubt, tell, you know, figure what's up. 
tell the controller what's you know what the problem is, blah blah blah. But they never say stay calm or really no no nobody's ever said that. That's fascinating because I would have thought that was actually something that was taught. No, everybody and everybody because they teach it. it to stewardesses and, and stewards. Sure, but but everybody does it. I mean, hmm. I, I've seen. Guys that, hey, uh, hi, you know, real high voice, and then they get on there, they, hi, no, November zero zero tango, and I'm like, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So, so, but you've flown planes that are not quite as automated, haven't you? Or yes. Not? Yes. All right. So how do? So that's what I want to be flying. So what do I do? First thing that you do, you have a checklist. Okay. And you go by the checklist. Right. It'll say before start checklist. Uh, you do well before anything. You do an inspection of the airplane. You walk around, check oil, check this, check this, check this, everything. Um, and depending on the airplane, depending on the checklist, you get inside. Before start checklist, it says alternators on, generators off, whatever the case. And you do all that. Then it says start left engine, right engine, or single. And you do that. You start the engine. Okay. That's a button. It's a. It could be a button or a key. Oh really? Like a like the starter really? in the car, yeah. Um, and then you get start the engines are started. You look and make sure all the, the things are adjusted. You have you know your avionics, all the radios and and uh, displays, and then you have you know your temperature and the gas. The you know all that stuff has to be in the green, as right. they say. Anything that's not in the green, you turn it off and go home. Now, have you had to plot? Like when you were going somewhere, did you have to plot your own course or do they have ones that you, you go online, you see where they're suggesting you fly or that's the only route you can take pretty no, much? Well, I, I, was, I was taught the old fashioned way when I started. There wasn't any automation at all. I mean, nothing. There wasn't GPS. There wasn't nothing. And so you had to say, okay, I'm going to go here, 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 here. And you had to have all the waypoints and everything like that. That you told to the... That you told to them. Them, right. Now, each airport, depending on the airport, if it's a tiny airport, no. But most airports have a departure thing that you have to do. And it has the the Canoga 5 departure, the Newhall 6 departure. And it specifically shows you how to get out of that airport. And everybody says, uh, like you're going to San Francisco, okay, uh, 38301, clear to the San Francisco airport via the Canoga 7 departure. Climb, maintain 4,000 feet, uh, expect 20,000 five minutes after departure. And then frequency, and then they give you a squawk, which is a little number that shows up on their radar screen and they can track you wherever you go. Got it. And wow. then you go, you get to the end of the runway and you fly it yeah. all the way. Mm-hmm. Now, have I, I, I don't, I can't remember. I've probably asked you this at some point, um, but I can't remember what your answer was. What was the scariest thing that ever happened when you were flying? Did you have anything happen that was like, whoops, this isn't working. And um, I forgot to fill the tank. Scary is not the right word because it, it wasn't like <laughs> I think something happened and you're screaming. That doesn't work, it doesn't work like that. I don't think I've ever heard anybody go wah and, you know start you know. Um, but I've I've had three incidents. Uh, the first one was with Rob. Oh, Bowman. Um, Rob Bowman. Wow. Uh, we took off and by the maintenance company that I was using, they screwed something up and I couldn't get the nose gear to come down on the airplane. 
And so we took off and we go into Santa Barbara for, for dinner. And I went, oh, so I go to Santa Barbara and fly by the tower and they say, well, it's not down. Mm. It's supposed to be down. So then we come back and burn off some fuel because you don't want to land right. with a bunch of fuel. Right. And I had to land on the, you know, that came down like, you know, on the wheels, the main wheels, and the nose came down, sparks flying. Wow. Yeah. Was Rob scared? Oh, we both were. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't scared until we were driving home. And there's a mm. bar close to my house. And he and I stopped in there. <laughs> and we were drunk within about 10 minutes. <laughs> I mean, we, we were just pounding it back. We that were like would, going, we were like going, that could have been just really bad. And I go, yeah, you know, and, um, but we went up again. Wow. Uh, once that's it was a tribute fixed, to, that's really cool. Well, he, he believes it too, that you got to get back. You got to get right on the horse. Yeah. Right on right. the horse. So we did that again. The second time I was flying a, a T-33, which is a, a jet trainer from the fifties. And... Something was wrong with my airspeed, and I was coming in too slow. And if you come in too slow, there's a thing which called a stall, and the airplane just quits flying. Mm. And sometimes it'll fall off on one wing, sometimes it's Ooh, another, depending good. on the airspeed. Uh, but you practice those things. It's not like, you you know, you, I mean, you recognize it. But my airspeed indicator was, was, not, was not functioning. So I was coming in slower than I was supposed to be. Mm. And I get over the runway about 10 feet and I pull the power back, and the airplane just slams on the ground. Wow. And I had these big- This is with Rob again. No, no. This, oh, is, no. this is just me. Okay. And they had these big tanks on the airplane. Oh, jeez. And they flexed down when I hit and hit the runway and ruptured the tanks. And oh, I took no. off to go around, and the tower called and said, uh, I forgot what it was. You got fuel coming out of your tanks. And so I just went, just fly the airplane, come around, and land. And so I came around and landed. And uh, it was wow. But my oh my, God. my favorite story. Oh is, my lord! Is um, I call it my Chuck Yeager moment, <laughs> which is um, I had a, the F eighty six. Whenever I flew, if I wasn't going someplace, I'd go up once or twice a week and do spins and rolls and stalls and all this stuff, um, and then come in and do approaches into certain airports, Palmdale or. Uh, and they also do a thing, I did it every time I flew, which is a single engine flame out, which is you have a single engine airplane, the thing flames out. You have to be able to pick an airport or an area. You that know, you're going to land in that you're as soon land. as possible, right. Or if you're, if you're near an airport, you have to be able to arrive at a certain point around the airport to make the runway. You, right. If you're high, you right. start above right. the runway and you come back around like a nice oval. Right. If you're low, you say, okay, I got to get to, you know, a half mile before the edge of the runway, blah, blah, blah. So I'd go up and I took off out of Van Nuys and the airplane just leapt off the ground. And I go, wow, that's, that's interesting. Uh, but we had a strong wind, headwind. Uh-huh. So naturally it would jump off. And I'd go out to, um, where is it? Um, to Hatchapi. And I'm loops and rolls and doing all the air work. And I say, okay, now I'm going to go into Palmdale for some approaches. And I get between probably about 20 miles from Palmdale and the little fuel pressure light comes on. And I'm looking at it <laughs> and I'm going, uh, okay, now fuel pressure means 
the pump's missing, the pump's going out, or you don't have any fuel, something happened. Neither of which is good. Neither of which is good. And uh, the other thing, too, is that whenever, uh, for guys, whenever a machine, a boat, an airplane, a car, whenever something really goes wrong with it, it turns into a woman. Because you start going, (laughs) you start going, baby, sweetheart, don't do this to me. Come on, come on, baby. We can make it. We can make it. <laughs> Sweetheart, please. I swear to God, I'll be, I'll be better to you next time. And um, so then light comes on, then it goes off. And I go, okay. Then it comes on again. And this time it stayed on and the engine quit. And how high are you? Uh, about about 12,000 feet. Um, but out there... It's 2,000 feet higher than here, so I'm about 10,000 feet. But I'm going pretty fast, and you set it for a glide speed, which is 180 in that airplane, and you glide at 180. And Palmdale is right in front of me. I don't turn. I don't say, I'm landing there. You're not supposed to land at Palmdale mm. because, um, you know, it's it's a military field, but mm. it's an emergency. Right. So. And you got him on the radio and all that. I got him on the radio, said I was coming in. I got it, you know, I got a dead engine. And I waited, waited, glided, glided, turned towards Palmdale. And as soon as I got about a mile from the end of the runway and I knew I had it made, gear, flaps came in, beautiful landing. Wow. And had enough energy to pull off the runway. Wow. Onto the side. And but you and you were you were like Coasting in the air, right? Coasting. And as I pulled off, the fire trucks come up and they go, what's the matter? (laughs) And I go, well, I ran out of fuel, you know, or something. I told him I didn't know what was happening. And the guy goes, well, you know, and he goes, oh my God, you're Wharf. (laughs) Again, I love it. And, uh, and then the, the commander of the base, I'll never forget his name, Drinkwater. Drinkwater? Lieutenant Commander Drinkwater. Colonel Drinkwater. He said, um, hey, look, we'll just say it was precautionary so that the FAA doesn't even. Wow. He was so cool and drove me back into L.A. But so did it turn out that you actually, there was a real, um, was it just the signal that made it cut? Or was there no fuel or what was happening? There was no fuel. Oh, jeez. But what happened, a couple things happened. When you took off, if it was just a normal day, you would go, Oh, this plane's too light. Something's okay. But, but the wind was, made you the think. The wind oh, made a thing. Okay. Then my gas gauge got stuck. Okay. So it got stuck at like fifteen hundred pounds, and I'm looking at it going, everything's fine, right, right? And there was nothing in there. Oh my god! And Michael. so he said, he says, and so the guys came up and he says, Michael, I tell you what, if I'll do this for you, but you got to do something for us. <laughs> I go, what? He says, well, when you take off. Can you do a bunch of high speed passes over the runway? Oh, that's cool. And I go, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> but wait, what, what what plane were you flying? F-86. The same one, like they fixed it or they gave you another plane? They put fuel in it. No, but he he drove me back to LA. Got it. And I then see. my other well, the the mechanics came out and Got I came it. out with them. Got it. And they kind of looked at each other and it was kind of a, a bunch of a chain of events. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what that's funny thing about flying, whenever there's a a crash, an incident, anything like that, there's a chain of events. Yeah, right. Well, of course, they have to... Really- and if you break that chain anywhere, you're fine. But you have to break the chain of events. Like... Wait a minute, you lost me. There's a chain of events. And if you break the chain, meaning... 
if you like, for instance, the chain of events, the guy said, the mechanic who takes care of my airplane, I asked him, I said, did you fuel the airplane? Oh, I see what you're saying. And he yeah, goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Oh, yeah. That's not good enough. That's no. not good enough. You break right. the chain. You don't right. go, okay, right. well, whatever, and you keep going. <laughs> right. Of course not. Yeah, exactly. It, so it, anyway. It's amazing. Well, it's also, you know, when I went to Bosnia, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure I told you, but it was astonishing, the experience of getting in the General's Black Hawk helicopter, okay, having two Apache escorts with guns because they were very worried about being ambushed. Just to experience that with the 80 pounds of gear on me and the bulletproof vest mm-hmm. and all that, it was also so thrilling. I mean, I I suddenly understood after my Bosnia trip the whole macho thing mm-hmm. of it because these machines are phenomenal. They are so powerful. And I was blown away with how there were two people. There was one who was the navigator. And the whole team owns the helicopter, actually, right. mm-hmm. which that— I never knew, Mm -hmm. but it was so exciting. And then they tried, of course, to make everybody, they tried to make me throw up, but I didn't because they weave and they do all this stuff. Yeah. But I had no idea how tricky flying a helicopter was. Yeah, it's it's really hard. It's really hard. Because you have to look for any wires or tree branch, anything. I mean, God, it's scary. In the meantime, every one of your extremities is doing something different. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it, then that double pedal thing is so weird. Oh, it because it, I flew it also in a pilot I shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a television pilot, mm-hmm. and the guy actually he was obviously sitting there, the real pilot. But at one point, he said, "No, I want you to try to fly this literally." He had shown me some things, and mm-hmm. it was so scary. Oh yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. All right, so I want to go back. Yes. Early years, we're back to the racisme en Texas. Oh la la. Oui. <laughs> Alors. So, where in Texas was it? You were born on a, a where in Texas? It's a little place called Luling, Texas. Luling, and is that where your grandmother was? Yeah, my 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 father's mother. Oh, your father's mother. So, mm-hmm. Okay, so I love your father's name, by the way. Fentress. Fentress. It's Fentress. Well, yeah, but Fentress. Fentress Dorn Jr. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, so. What memory do you have of Fentress Doran Jr.? Um, I just remember him as, like, a, a, interestingly enough, I always thought he was like a really cool guy, you know. Um, always played with us, really didn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of discipline. I mean, he left when we were eight years old, so that's kind right. of a short memory. And um, But, you know, always— What did he do? What did he do? He was a, he was a, a tailor. Really? Mm-hmm. He was a tailor in Texas, and he moved. We moved out here to um, Pasadena, and it's an interesting story. He worked for uh, a dry cleaners, you know, 
And he was their tailor. He was their tailor. And he wanted to open his own dry cleaning service. And they begged him not to. Begged him because he was so good. And he said, no, 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 i got to do this. So he opened his own. Dorn Green Brothers Cleaners. Wow. And um, In Pasadena. In Pasadena. Wow. And, uh, That's a hard job, though. Well, you know what? And, and it was, um, but it was, a, it was a very good job. But the good thing about him, he's not a bum. He always had jobs. I mean, always. He never was like, uh, I mean, when they got divorced, he moved to, um, to Los Angeles. And he had a, a dry cleaning, uh, no, no, janitorial service. Had a bunch of people. Did very well. Right. And the uh, funny thing is, that talking about always working, a guy on the show came up to me and says, Michael, is your father alive? And I go, yeah. He goes, is his name Fentress? I go, yeah. And this, he was like 77 at that time. He said, yeah, well, he works as a security guard at the Getty Museum. Museum? No. Yeah. I went, you're kidding. Nope. Did you go see him? No. Why not? You just didn't want to... Oh, you know, I had seen him occasionally. You know, it wasn't like I never saw him. You know, I saw him. He For a long time, he worked for the city of Beverly Hills, um, you know, like um, maintenance and whatever the but case. But you didn't try to get like a new relationship going with him? Yeah, he never really wanted that. He never really had an interest in any of that stuff. We tried when we were, you know, in our 20s. That's and, you and Ronnie, your younger yeah, brother. Yeah, and he just, he just wasn't interested. But that's why okay. do you? Th- yeah, it's okay. But why do you think that was? Because you guys are so awesome. I mean, that's a loss. That's a huge um, loss. For I think that that's kind of the way that that he is. Everybody kind of um, works on their own frequency, mm-hmm. and um, he was just not interested in that stuff. So, and when he split with their mom because it just wasn't going well, or he? Oh, he was. He was cheating. And, okay. And, All right. You know, and he, he always made money, but he spent it. Got it. You know? Now, your mom, though, was working. Yes. And what kind of stuff did she do? She's a teacher. She was a teacher. And what age group? Um, for, God, she did elementary school. Okay. I don't think she ever did, like, fifth or sixth. Maybe she did fifth grade, but not sixth. But she taught 30 years at... Um, this place, Mariana Avenue Elementary School, which is in the heart of East L.A. Wow. All Spanish. And, wow. Uh, Did she speak Spanish? No. Mm-mm. No, it was just... Not like, a word. Oh, boy. <laughs> Not a word. But, um, <laughs> but I, I've met several people that she taught. Oh, that's beautiful. In fact, I was doing a show, um, Castle, and this guy who was working extra comes up to me and says, I just want to tell you that... Your mother taught me and my father. No way. Yeah. I went, you're kidding. Oh, yeah. And so, how did that make you feel? Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. I like that. I mean, it, it's yeah. because two things. I mean, first of all, it's, it's really good to know that somebody had an impact. That's right. You know, your family member had an impact on a lot of people. Right. And, and also, changed it in a deep way. I mean, a teacher oh, really—they yeah. have them for every day for a year at least. Yeah. You know? And she's she she was she's from the old school, so she was strict. Uh, but she just loved them kids to death. Yeah. And uh, and also the thing is that this is in the heart of East L.A. Everybody thinks everybody's in a gang, and it's not true. These are all very, and I met a few of people, and they were all very working class, you know, mm. and very mm-hmm. sort of the kids, you're going to college, you know, right. you're going to go out, you know, so. 
So that's, that was listen, good. people I've met who grew up in East LA, that's totally what they say too. That's the experience. I mean, yes, it's true. There are places. There are places where it's really scary and, you know, we do precious little to help them mm-hmm. not to get into the gangs. Yeah. Okay, so where yeah. was your mother from? Texas? Uh, yeah, Tyler. Okay. Um, Tyler, Tyler, yeah, Tyler, Texas. Tyler, okay. Texas, yeah. And did you, but you moved when you were eight, you said? No, no, we, no. Moved, we moved out of there when we were, when I was one and a half. Oh, okay. My brother was three, So you like would that. just go and visit your grandmother. That's, yeah, that's where every the, summer. That's where the Rudy, Rudy, the chicken... <laughs> The chicken. Oh God, you got to tell the story again. So, so Rudy, how old were you when you went to, like you hadn't been there for a while because it was a big oh, deal we, we, to go to Texas and go back and forth, right? No, we go every year. You did when you oh, were little? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, just about every year. I mean, we Boy, may have we missed one a year or something that. like that. No, we took the train. Oh wow. Took the yeah. train. Okay. And uh, with our grandmother, you know, and I, I uh, they have the I owe them everything because we were insane as children. We were really, really like, like animals, like wild animals. Like what's the, what's the worst thing you and Ronnie did? Oh, the worst thing? Yeah. Well, let's just, whatever. Oh, uh, there, there's so many really <laughs> worst things. Um, all I know is that when my mother left, because there's sometimes, you know, we didn't have babysitters. Right. And when my, when her sister or my grandmother couldn't take us, um, she would leave us at the house, right? Just for a day, yeah. And she had no idea what was what shape the house was going to be in, or is blood going to be all over the place? <laughs> <laughs> so I want to know what you did because I was left with my brother taking care of me, my um, older brother. So I want to know what did you and Ronnie get up to? Ronnie and I would wrestle okay. until one until I got hurt. You? Yeah, yeah. He was always much bigger than I was. Really? Much bigger. Oh yeah, I was a. What's the age difference? Uh, two years. But I thought you were older. No. He's oh, older. he's older. Yeah, I was the baby. And, oh, well, uh, then that is my experience too. <laughs> we'd wrestle around, and he'd always get. Of course, he was big and strong. Right. And he'd get the best mean. And one time, he threw me into a, a coffee table. But in those days, the coffee tables had knife edges. Right. You know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. And I hit my head and blood spurted everywhere. Oh, terrifying. What did you do? Well, I went, "Eh, you know, oh, God, you know, she's going to, you know, and and she's going to be mad at us, you know. And and, uh, so I just dabbed it up and pretended like nothing happened. Wow. Um, Yeah, we busted the TV a few times. (laughs) Uh, Well, how would you do that? Because you'd be fighting over what you're watching? Remember the big TVs? Yeah. Okay, and they had that big thing coming out the back, right, the tube. Right. We are wrestling around. We're oh, wrestling. Got just, it. just. Got and it. he would shove me into the TV. Oh, the TV would come off the stand and hit the right. back, and the tube would <gasps> go through. And so we went, "Oh my God!" And there was a big <laughs> crack. And so we said, "I know what we'll do. We'll turn the TV towards the wall." <laughs> oh, yeah, really, really smart. <laughs> It's amazing how kids do that. Like oh. what I, my brother and I used to get these jobs. We would have jobs, endless jobs during the summer. And my mother, who was just meticulous, would say, okay, 
I want you to take everything out, every glass plate out of the cupboard, take the shelf paper out, wash down the interior of the thing, get new shelf paper, put it in, wash every glass, whatever. And of course, my and then and my brother, we'd have to do things like wash all the windows on the outside out, do this, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. wash the walls of the rooms. And we got to the point, I mean, in the beginning, we'd just work all day. But then we would get to the point where it'd be like, okay, I'm supposed to do the interior of the covers. So I would just take stuff out, blow the dust around, you know, put it back and wash the first three glasses that you see. <laughs> and then, you know, and nobody's going to know. No, nobody's exactly. going to be and the nobody wiser. ever knew, ever knew, no. right? Well, I, you know, we, our thing, and my thing was, was electricity. I, I blew out the fuses in the house. You know, those big fuses. Yeah. Those twi- I blew those out so many times. Why, how? Uh, you know, just plugging too many things in or plugging, you know, like I don't, I, I get something that was electrical, whatever it was, you know, a toy or whatever. And I take it apart Hmm. and I'd see how it works and I'd put it, you know, the little terminals back on and plug it in and see how the thing, and you know, naturally wires are touching and stuff like that, you know, or I'd stick a, um, a knife in the plug. Oh, you're lucky. My friend, I have a girlfriend who lost her thumb from doing that. Yeah. That you are lucky you're alive. Yeah. Did you guys do things like play marbles? No, we don't. We, no, we played Army. Oh, God, did I too. But I, that's because no, I had Army, no choice. We played Army. Air Force. We played Pilot. Air Force. Yeah, we played Pilot and Air uh-huh. Force. Uh, there's this game we used to play where who, uh, whoever is the horse would lean on the couch and the other person would jump on their back and then you have to try to buck them off. Yeah, that happened um, with my brother and I too on the bed. And then he would like... Almost set fire strangle to a, me. Set fire to a couch. I did that before. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. yeah that's uh, good. Not inside, but outside. Oh, my God. Well, uh, everybody, when we were little, everyone had matches around, those little oh. matches. So, of course, it was so dangerous for kids anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it was very true. But it was, it, was, it, was, it was actually a pretty fun upbringing. I mean, we were, we just had a blast, you know. So I love the Rudy story because it's going to lead me into talking about what else I want to talk, which is, I remember I remember laughing so hard when I first heard this. You told me when we were on the set. I know. Of that you went and you were playing with um, the chickens at your grandma's, but there was one in particular, Rudy, that you loved. And you and you guys, what was, like you were just following him around and playing. And- oh, well, you know, it, it was, you know, they... Uh, they had all these animals. They had a lot of animals because right. it was kind of a farm, but it wasn't really a farm. It was just, and we didn't know that these animals were future meals. Right. You know, they were just sort of like, and so yeah, we, we, this one chicken, we were just outside playing and laughing and chasing and, oh, Rudy, named him Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. And, and um, our grandmother, who, who was a dear woman, came out and said, boys, come on in for dinner. What would you like for dinner? We said, fried chicken, you know. <laughs> God, no connection. Not even, no, no connection. connection. No connection. Yeah. And um, said, okay. And there was a guy there that helped her, like a, a, a ranch hand or yeah. something like that. And he goes out past us and grabs the, <laughs> I mean, he, he just went and grabbed that chicken <gasps> like it was standing <gasps> still and started swinging it around in big circles oh, God. until, and just snapped its neck and it went up in the air. Oh, geez. And it looked like it stayed there for a while. And then it came down and hit the ground and started running around. No. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. And oh, Ronnie my God. and I are going, 
what a bunch of savages. Oh, my God. What a bunch of barbarians. And we were just like, oh, oh my God. they killed Rudy. Of course. And, <laughs> of course. Within an hour, it was on the table. Wow. Delicious. But <laughs> we were putting, you know, the drumsticks in our mouth and Rudy. But you're delicious. You know, I mean, it was animals were, not the dogs, but, you know, all these, you know. But see, that's what's so weird. We make this exception for dogs and cats. Yes. Even though we know that that's not true everywhere in the world. But Mm -hmm. it's pretty amazing how well corporate interests have made us believe that we need to eat meat, 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 meat. We have such an appetite. We think we just have to consume meat three times a day, mm-hmm. and we're told this is what we should do. Who says that's good for us? We're destroying our environment, but also our health. Because both of us, fairly close in the same time period, we both got early cancer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine was stage one breast cancer, and yours was prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. And so how did— How did you make your decision to go vegan, and how did that whole change happen? Because, again, I think for some people it's about really believing that animals should not be treated as objects and used by us and exploited and and that, that they're sentient beings. Mm -hmm. And there's other people who do it because of their health. Yeah. Well, the one thing that helped with it is that I named my prostate Rudy. (laughs) um, Oh, Rudy. Oh, Rudy. Rudy. Nice one. No, I um, I uh, you know, I I I was already headed towards healthy eating in the direction. I wasn't completely healthy. Um, and why why were you heading that direction? Uh, just because I was always working out. Okay. And right. um, you know, you you get. My brother is really good about that stuff. He's in great shape, and so he was telling me about all the stuff that's in the food that causes these things in terms of, you know, uh, you, you can't work out a lot if you do this, if you do this. Processed you do foods this. Yeah, and all that stuff, food. yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I was already headed that direction. But like like you were talking about, um, the, the urologist that did the diagnosis said, um, he was saying, Michael, you have it. And I'm going, you know, first thing you think is, why me? You know, this is crazy. Uh, and, but he was talking to me, he says, you know, all men get prostate cancer. They don't die from it, but they just all have it. And, uh, I said, really? He said, except vegetarians. Mm. And I went, what? Yeah. He says, he hasn't seen a vegetarian with prostate cancer. Yeah. That's kind of important (laughs) news, right? So that drove me to the internet. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, I'm. I'm one of those people, whatever I have, or if there's an issue I have, I always like let it out there and tell people because you never know where you're going to get some really, really helpful information. Yeah. And I realized that people were going, oh, my brother had prostate cancer. Oh, my so-and-so. I mean, people were just coming out of the woodwork and they all did different therapies for it. And the one that I found was... um, a bunch of guys did diets and they cured sometimes the prostate cancer or made it go away or else they um, limited it. Mm-hmm. 
to where it didn't go any Fred, further. Yeah. This whole thing that happened in the 50s of wanting convenience, because I had a grandmother who, I mean, she she made her own sausage. She, you know, oh. would cook full meals every you know, night. But we, again, she would make borscht soup a lot. We would have things that were just vegetarian mm-hmm. and lots of potato dishes because it'd been very, they'd been poor. So you cook a lot with things like potatoes or pasta. There's so much information now that we know that really is clear-cut factual information. It's not like maybe. It's mm-hmm. They've done study after study all over the world. Mm-hmm. And it's true that vegans have... Very, very few have any bad health issues like that because it helps with arthritis, all of these things. All of the things, yeah. And you've now been vegan for how many years? Gosh, I don't know. When yeah, did you when did you Well, I think it's been it's gotta have been like 12, 13 years. I think it's more. You think it's more? 12 I think or 13, it's because I think I was 55 or something. Okay, or 54. Okay. Well, I just know that like for me. Mm-hmm. When I was in my 20s and in New York City, I was having these horrible headaches, which I'd had when I went to France to study. I would get these. Mm-hmm. I, my dad had had these headaches his whole life, and he grew up on a dairy farm, mm-hmm. FYI. And the things that both he and I loved the most were like bread things and dairy things. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just craved them and we loved them. And mm-hmm. we talked about them all the time. Oh, that's a good one. And, and I went. uh, I mean, I remember the migraines he had. Uh, He he was in horrible, racking pain so much of his life. Every day he had a headache, practically. And I started getting them when I went to France. I had not had them really before then, but I suddenly started getting exactly what I'd seen in him. And when I came back to New York, I still was having that. And I... I was talking about it with a friend, and they said, no, you should go to this this doctor. He's on 14th Street. He's he's not a normal doctor. I mean, he is an MD, but he really will take food allergies. And and I went to see him, and he diagnosed me as you have a major gluten allergy, Mm -hmm. and you have a major dairy allergy. Mm -hmm. You should not have those at all. And that was like giving me a death sentence is the way it felt, okay? Because nobody... Nobody talked about that at all. I, yeah. I mean, I wasn't reading. This is a long time ago. This is like in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And so it was hard because I would be, you know, in New York trying to act with tiny salaries for these off-off-Broadway shows initially. And there's one deli that's five blocks away. It's the only place during rehearsal you can grab a sandwich. And believe me, everything is gluten and dairy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you get a cheese sandwich, sure. you get whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I fought it on and off. But finally, when I got my... Sometimes I would try to go off of it, and then then I'd go back on because I couldn't stand it. But when mm-hmm. I got my breast cancer diagnosis, I went, yeah. that's it. I got to go off dairy. I got to go off gluten. And it changed my life. I have oh, not yeah. had a migraine since. I have not had well, a headache you know, since. I mean, the, 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 the thing that I've discovered with all of that stuff is that there's a there's Western medicine that has a certain, you know, and it's not there's not bad and good. It's just Western medicine has yeah. a certain take. Uh, holistic medicine is very different. Uh, you know the Jins and Jitsu, which I do with a uh, with my um, uh, with my guy Joe. Right. And you know, same thing. I mean, it just it just approaches different it. methods. Yeah, yeah, different methods. But um, the methods of letting your body do its thing is mm. is what I talk about, which is we put so much stuff in our body that uh, inhibits our body from doing what it's supposed to do. Right. 
You know, like they said, um, uh, my buddy was talking about, oh, meat, you got to have. I said, well, yeah, you know, I mean, if you want to eat meat, that's up to you. Right. But these are the facts. Meat stays in your body for like seven days. Right. You know, and in that seven days, your body is working its ass off trying to digest this stuff. And in those places where it's working the hardest, that's where disease starts. And it's very funny. There was a lady that I was seeing um, just when I started, and she had a son, great, great guy, but he loved to play sports. And she goes, God, Michael, you know, I'm having a hard time because Reiner, he um, uses an inhaler and he can only pay for, play for like 20 minutes at a time. Mm. His, and I talked to my guy and he says, get rid of dairy, okay? I told her he got rid of dairy, and within two weeks he was off the inhaler and he was playing ball. Yeah, it's and amazing. still playing ball. It's amazing. And that's not, and that's the thing. It's not. It's like try it, try it and see. But it's not a secret. But they keep it from us, like like, you know, like the idea that um, there. Were, I saw this at the same time I was doing all this stuff. I saw a uh, lecture online from the head of urology at San Diego State. And he puts on this big screen. These are the two things that cause prostate cancer that we know of so far, which is heredity and meat. Wow. <laughs> and he has a big slide right. of a steak right. sliced up. And you go, okay. Right. Now, that's not me. It's not my healer. We're not, you know. People do have the right to eat what they want. I think where, I, I like yourself, I wish there would be much more information available. And I also wish that we as a country could start to understand how much we have pushed since the founding of this country to this consumption, consumption excess, that actually you can consume, but you can have balance and you can still eat meat and you can still, you know, want to have dairy, you balance it or try to go without it for three weeks and just feel what happens, mm -hmm. you know, to get to know your body. Like until you actually feel the craving that I felt when I went off wheat, mm -hmm. you suddenly understand, ooh, yes, it is like an addiction. Like I want this, but it's actually bad for me. Mm -hmm. And if I get off of it a little bit longer, I'm not going to crave it. Well, I think that also, I think that people have a have an innate um, uh, defense mechanism where the first thing they say is, I can't, I can't. I go, look, we went to the moon with, <laughs> with right. computers that aren't as powerful as right, our right, watch. Right. You know, I think you can, you know. <laughs> you can, or, yes. Or the other thing that I find really, really interesting is somebody is having problems. I, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. Well, maybe you should try this. No, no, that's not it. I know. I would be trying everything, wouldn't and you? And you? Go, you go, if your mind's open, you go, that's a good idea. <laughs> it's funny. People ask me, um, said, well, Michael, you know, I really want to do what you do. You know, what? can you help me with that? I said, sure. Well, this is what you need to do. And they want to negotiate. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, they want to go, well, I can't give up cheese. And I go, <laughs> right. really? No, yeah. no. And wine? No, I can't do wine. Can I just do, and I go, right. you know, you're, you're coming at it from the wrong way. <laughs> right. Right. But right. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's all it's all evolving. Michael is more of an introvert than an extrovert. A man of facts, wisdom, and jokes. Hope you enjoyed listening to the golden voice of Michael Dorn. I always do. 
especially when he speaks his loopy French. Take care and be well. And please tune in for the continuation of my conversation with the wonderful Michael Dorn. <laughs>